Welcome to the Behavior Speak podcast. Now, here's your host, Ben Ryman. Welcome to another episode of the Behavior Speak podcast. Uh, excited today to have uh, Gabrielle Stigant with us in, in the uh, virtual studio. Uh, and we're going to be talking about all things girls and autism today. So really excited to have this conversation. Gab, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to chat about this. Super pumped, super pumped. So I, I wanted to start off, uh, I've been kind of following uh, the lead of a, a lot of different podcasts uh, that uh, kind of bring on folks with ABA and just kind of get a little bit of origin story on folks. Uh, I do know a tiny bit of your origin story because I, I, we met, you know, almost 20 years ago uh, when I first got into the field myself. But uh, I know that there's been a, a a divergent pathway for the two of us. So <laughs> tell me a bit about how you kind of got into, into the ABA kind of field and working with folks with autism and how that kind of uh, led you to where you are now. Um, yeah. So as you mentioned, I, well, after university, I graduated with my undergrad from UVic and I moved to the mainland and that's where I met you and I started working at a group home. And then um, at the same time, I also started working with a young girl on her home ABA program. And at the time, she was about three and a half. And I just, yeah, I really enjoyed seeing the progress she made, working as a team. I got to play. Hmm. (laughs) It was really fun. And so over the course of the year, I joined more home teams and worked myself out of the group home environment and continue to work with young kids. And then fast forward, I um, interned with a non-for-profit and did my master's at UBC. And um, while working at the non-for-profit, I had a lot of opportunities to not only program for early intervention, um, work with one-on-one with learners. I also got to facilitate and run social groups and summer camps and I really enjoyed that. And so when the uh, non-for-profit closed down and I started my private practice, I, between myself and a couple of other uh, colleagues, was able to continue to offer and facilitate social groups. And yeah, and so in my private practice, I've always continued to be able to include that piece that I've enjoyed. Awesome. And that, that's kind of how I found you again was uh, mm-hmm. when you kind of started doing uh, these, these girls groups online when, when kind of COVID hit. Um, yeah. and we're going to get we're going to talk more about that a little bit later. There's a lot of there, there's a big a lot of differences between kind of girls and boys with autism. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I've learned recently um, you had sent me um, a bunch of articles uh, a while back and uh, on girls with autism. And I really kind of dove into them. And just a lot of things I had just no idea about. I'd always known that, you know, this whole idea of the boys to girl ratio of four to one um, was a bit skewed, maybe. Mm -hmm. Um, And maybe not necessarily exactly what's happening. um, And that, in fact, there may be more girls with autism out there than we know. But it's it's kind of hard, hard to find them. Why, Why is that? Yeah, so um, this leads to what we talked about earlier of masking and camouflaging. So a lot Mm. of girls are sort of um, hiding their, if you will, social struggles by learning different coping strategies to fit into the situation. And so I think unless 
uh, folks are really understanding and seeing the underlying issues of what's going on, on a superficial level, many girls are fitting into the situation and especially younger girls. And that kind of changes when the eight to nine-year-old phase comes in play. So some girls who are younger and are quiet and not talking, they might be considered more shy. Um, maybe, you know, they don't know how to seek out help, but instead of seeing that as the challenge, people are offering help because, of, you know, that little girl's just shy. Or if uh, conversing, one person I work with, if she struggled to keep up with the conversation or didn't understand the question that was asked, she would, she learned to say, I don't really feel like talking about that right now. Uh, so in an appropriate way, was able to deflect the the conversation and avoid yeah. it. Um, so yeah, so lots of other women and girls on the spectrum have learned how to cope by uh, using masking or camouflaging traits by hiding their sort of autistic traits. So whether that's uh, sort of self-stimming that might help self-regulate, they might hide those because they they're hyper aware that that's not what you're supposed to do or could be, you know, perceived as they, they notice that their peers are not doing those kinds of behaviors. They might um, find ways, they might mimic a, a girl, like if they see a girl that's really popular they might mm. mimic the way that her hair is or her clothing style and how she talks or her tone of voice. Some women have reported that they would practice conversations ahead of time so that when they're in the moment, they they know what to say and how to uh, navigate those situations. Um, younger girls might not necessarily understand the rules of the games, but if they imitate their peers' actions, they can fit in. So some girls have also reported of being a flitting and, and research has showed like flitting from one group to another. So if you're, if you're the, you know, recess supervisor and you're looking, you're like, oh yeah, she's playing with friends. I see her, but she may be more on the periphery of the group and not actually involved with the activity. I, I read, I read about that term in, in one of the articles. What, what's flitting? So you might go from the girls or the, the kids that are playing tag and then, you, you know, maybe then you go over to the kids that are playing hopscotch and then mm. over to Foursquare. So you're, you're, all, you're constantly just going from one group to another just to see what's going on, but not becoming an active participant necessarily. Mm. Just maybe trying to see where you can kind of maybe fit in the best. Right. What's the easy way to fit in? And so, as I mentioned earlier, around eight to 10, um, I sort of refer to as the walk and talk stage. That's where girls on the playground are less likely to play tag and these sort of activities and are more likely to start walking around and talking and um, sharing more of those social emotional pieces, you know, their feelings or talking about others or mm. um, their likes and dislikes. And so for, for girls who are struggling to keep up with those conversations, you know, you can no longer mimic the actions that that's when right. sort of those, those challenges might to be, appear to be a bit more obvious. Mm, yeah, because I guess because I guess it's a lot of there's a lot of really overt behaviors that they can just sort of copy. You know, you're you're playing tag, so I can run around and tap, or I can run away, or you know, there's really really obvious kind of things going on. But then when the girls get older, now it's about this sort of really quiet verbal behavior 
that you can't actually pick up on. Right. And it's not even just verbal, right? It's the it's the subtle social nuances. It's the the look, the eye roll, oh. the raised eyebrows, the the body language, right? Just turning slightly. And so so that, that's what ha- like the the bullying, quote unquote, right, which might not right. necessarily be intentional, but the girl that's not necessarily fitting into the group the other girls, it might be more covert of just ignoring her or leaving her out or or even that's when some gossiping happens or spreading rumors. Right. So it's it's much more subtle than maybe the males. And so the other pieces is a lot of girls on the spectrum tend to internalize those emotions. And so they sort of hold it together all day at school and then may come home and just fall apart. And because they're in their safety environment, right? And with their safe people. So they can um, have these meltdowns and and let out all the emotions because they're struggling to keep it together all day. So the masking or camouflaging, as even I mentioned, like, you know, mimicking um, a person's ways about them or pre-practicing those conversations. I mean, that's only going to get you so far mm-hmm. if the conversation doesn't go as you plan yeah you have to be able to um alter you know your way of thought be flexible with what you're speaking about even taking that perspective taking of reading the cues of others and altering your behavior accordingly right mm. and can they read the cues like do they know what the 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 eye roll means or the body turning means and all that sort of stuff? Um, I think that really depends from individual to individual. Definitely mm. just in, in reading a lot of, um, you know, Facebook pages and Instagram accounts of autistic women and the girls in particular that I've worked with, some of them recognize that they're different and recognize that they're not being accepted as much as their peers. So they, they, are aware that there's a difference about them. Um, some of them may see those eye rolls or recognize the res- they're not getting the response rate that they want, but they don't know why, what it is that mm. they did that caused that. So that can be, and that again goes to that perspective taking, really reading and understanding the subtleties and what your behavior did to sort of cause that and how to change right, it. Right, right, right. So interesting. So I suppose when, so they, they, these these kids are at school and they're doing the mask and the camouflage, they come over with a meltdown. Mm-hmm. If they if, if they've yet to be diagnosed, this this must be so confusing to the parents and the families. Like what's happening? Right, right. So confusing for the the family because they you know what's changed, what's going on. The school team might not necessarily pick up on what the family is seeing. Mm-hmm. Um, cause again, like it's, they might superficially be seeing this young girl with other kids, but not recognizing that there may not truly be those friendship or relational interactions and the masking or camouflaging might be hiding the struggles that this child is actually experiencing. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So, so why is, why is it, why is it that it is, is that it takes so long to, to either diagnose girls or or that they don't even get diagnosed at all. Like I, I still think this four to one ratio is maybe not so accurate. So yeah, no, you're right. Um, I think that well, I think that one piece is that 
you know, they, they see children or are, are these girls are struggling at school. They might have some challenges with friendships, but they might be not, what am I trying to say? The professionals around might not necessarily see autism. Well, they make, they make eye contact. Um, they can converse with me. They, you know, they can hold a conversation. They might, the, academically, they're fine. So there might be excuses for behavior. Well, she's just shy or she's strong-willed. She has lots of ideas. <laughs> so instead of sort of um, recognizing which might be more of the autistic characteristics, they're sort of, they're dismissed or seen as more other, you know, gender specific traits. Mm. Uh, so yeah, so definitely those are the challenges with, I think the other professional or the, the other people in the life to sort of think in that direction. Uh, many girls then get misdiagnosed with anxiety or depression amongst other diagnoses. And so, yeah, so autism is not necessarily on the forefront. Uh, sometimes like even when we look at, you know, girls don't necessarily have as many, um, stereotypical behaviors that mm. boys might present because of the camouflage and masking, they're learning to hide it. Um, or those special interests, you know, it, it might not be about dinosaurs specifically, but it might be more about a TikTok person <laughs> knowing mm. every little detail about a, a particular TikTok person, right? Or um, maybe her favorite color is pink and everything in her life is pink. And that might be her specific interest. But, oh, well, you know, she's a girl. She likes pink. What's right. the deal? Right, right. She likes TikTok. Yeah, What's or she's deal? really yeah, into yeah. horses, <laughs> right? <laughs> so, so the special interests might be more acceptable and mm. not seen, again, as an autistic trait. Now, what about... Like I can see that totally with like a seven, eight or nine year old, but what about the three year olds? Like what's happening there? Yeah, that's a good question. And I think that's, I think that the, the behaviors there are still fitting in with their peers, if you will, like they still, they might not be as obvious, um, mm. but there might be more sensitivities to, you know, light or sound or clothing textures. Um, there might be maybe some like picky eating, but again, is that being three? <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I think um, there might be more red flags, but it, because girls again are tending to be diagnosed much later, I don't think there's not research there to demonstrate or to flag for these younger, younger children. You mentioned, uh, I was reading one of the articles you sent me, I can't remember which one mm -hmm. it was, but um, um, there was something about um, that you just touched on where they kind of get diagnosed with something else first. Yeah. Uh, and they talked about, like, uh, there was, a, it was a, I'll share all these articles uh, in show notes. And it was one article in particular that I think was more of a, a narrative than a sort of a, than, a, than a research kind of paper. And um, it was just sort of telling stories of several girls with, uh, autistic girls, girls with autism, mm -hmm. and one of them recounted their story of um, how they had been through. I think it was twelve psychiatrists um, and seven or eight different diagnoses, 
And like you said, they're really good at remembering specific details about uh, about those psychiatrists, like in so much detail, like that was their special interest because yes. they were exposed to so many psychiatrists. And so yeah. there was one where I remember when psychiatrist one was fired from their job for sleeping with their patients. <laughs> um, and, and psychiatrist number three, you know, uh, yeah. gave me a lot of drugs. Um, and, and but but that she in particular went through. She had an anxiety disorder diagnosis. Yeah. And she had borderline personality disorder. And the problem with, with and depression, and the problem with all the, a lot of those diagnoses is they're usually uh they usually coincide with with prescriptions and medications and sometimes really strong, really powerful medications that tend to mess people up even more. Mm-hmm. And so I, I like it's one thing to sort of have the parents not be able to pick up on, or the school staff not to be pick up be able to pick on it, but when the when the when the clinicians and the diag- like diagnostic professionals can't pick up on it, like what's happening? Yeah, it's there? pretty scary. One, I, well, I think the challenge is is that there's just there hasn't been enough research, there hasn't been enough you know education to people about what what girls, you know, how they present, and so I think now that more and more particularly women when they're older are getting diagnosed and sharing their stories and reflecting on their childhoods that hopefully that will help bring light and educate everyone on on what to sort of look for so that these girls aren't overlooked and even I'll be honest some of the girls that I I work with and I meet with you know I'll have their diagnostic reports but it really takes me a number of one to one time to really pinpoint what the challenges are and what we need to work mm. on. Mm. And um, it, yeah, because I'll be like, okay, well, let's talk about this. Let's talk about that. Okay, she she gets that. She understands that. Okay, well, <laughs> and it, you know, it really requires me to build a rapport and trust for these girls to then, you know, to drop the mask, to stop camouflaging. Right, right, right. And so that's that's me spending quite a bit of time with one person one on one. But when you're going in for an assessment, mm-hmm. you know, these clinicians don't get that time. Right. Yeah, that's that, that that's a that's a really good point. Mm-hmm. Do, do you think that and maybe this is exactly how is, is what you just said to me, but that the testing is actually kind of more geared towards boys? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And and I and I think that it's um, there are a number of clinicians now who are recognizing maybe how to alter it a bit or what what to look mm. for necessarily. I know one person was telling me that you know during the when the clinician was talking to the girl, like again was able to mask and camouflage and hold it together, and then as soon as she left the room you know, was able, like the emotions bubbled up and she fell apart into Mm. her mom's arms. And if the clinician hadn't seen that, Mm. then she may not have gotten a diagnosis. Wow. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. So really maybe speaks to how some, some changes need to kind of happen in the whole diagnostic process. And I guess more research, like you said, there just, there just isn't enough of it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I, and I think that, um, helping clinicians understand of what to look for and how it's going to impact women who have diagnosis um, of autism and are on the spectrum to get those, that support that they need. And because, you know, research has shown that masking and camouflaging can really have an impact on people's mental health 
and their self-perception. So there has been, you know, daily exhaustion from keeping this mask up can lead to Mm -hmm. an increase in anxiety and depression. And, um, and many people, you know, question their, their self-worth or, you know, do do these people like me because of the mask of like how I present Mm -hmm. or do they like me for who I truly am? So um, hopefully as more and more people are aware and more and more girls are getting earlier diagnosis that, um, that will help many women in the long run. And, you know, and, and I'm not camouflaging and masking is not specifically to women. There are definitely men on the spectrum who, who mask and camouflage as well. And, um, someone, you know, a, a colleague mentioned that it's not, we all mask, we all camouflage, <laughs> Mm-hmm. Right, we're we're different when we're on a podcast than we are at home without anyone watching us. Absolutely, so, but we don't have to be as conscious, right? And we're not. People are really conscious of of masking and hiding their autistic traits to fit in. And there seems to be almost uh, this is a bit of a tangent. Mm-hmm. But there seems to be like a parallel here with um, you know masking and code switching which is something we code switching. So this is a, a term I've, I've learned recently um, that a lot of folks in uh, a lot of, a lot of folks in black communities mm. uh, um, engage in uh, this thing called code switching, which, you know, and, and forgive me if anyone's listening, if I'm sort of butchering this term, but as I understand it, um, I just did an interview, uh, uh, which I don't know how the timeline will work out. This may end up being before or after that one, but uh, with a a BCBA in Africa, in Botswana, uh, and she, uh, and she was talking to me about, uh, she had quite a, quite a lot of world travels in terms of where she kind of practiced ABA and she worked in the States, she worked in Ireland and Kuwait and Dubai and South Africa. And now finally in kind of her home country of Botswana, but she found as she went from kind of country to country, uh, the, 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 the cultures were so different mm-hmm. and, uh, and the way to engage in things was so different like, that she had to do this thing called code switching to kind of uh, try to fit in with each different culture. And then similarly, I've heard a lot, uh, there, there's actually a great, I think it's actually called Code Switch. Um, there's a podcast that's really awesome. And essentially black folks, uh, you know, in, in North America, mm-hmm. A lot of them are constantly doing this code switching thing, which is essentially a masking and basically trying to sort of fit into, you know, colonial kind of uh, expectations of people. Like everything from, you know, how how they speak Mm -hmm. and uh, tones of voice, uh, dress, hairstyles, um, you know, so you might find someone who normally has um, dreadlocks just uh, styling their hair straight. Or you might, or you might find, um, you know, there's lots of, uh, you know, dialects and lingo and different things within different communities that, you know, uh, that are, you know, part of culture and tradition. But they'll just sort of move that aside and kind of talk, you know, suit and tie American yeah. um, in order to fit yeah. in because of because of racism and, and basically, and again, I, I, I'm I'm so new to learning sort of this whole area, but essentially. And and some of this kind of came out with the first episode we did with Danielle, mm-hmm. where you know she would she wouldn't have opportunities if she didn't first kind of coach. Right. Uh, she would lose opportunities, lose chances to network because we have all these sorts of implicit biases about how you know black folk are supposed to be and and 
most of them negative, um, probably all of them negative, and and not really accurate to you know the, you know the type of folks they are. And, and so this code switching thing is huge, and it sounds just like masking to try to kind of yeah. bring it back. Um, uh, 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 is is that that's essentially what kind of kind of what these folks? Well, are interesting. Like I remember listening to that podcast with Danielle, and you you did the two of you did talk about code switching. I just forgot the terminology, mm. and it did make me think of masking in people on the spectrum. So yeah, very similar. It's, it's a form of protection, right? Yeah. So yeah. Interesting. And I look forward to your other podcasts. That sounds interesting too. Thank you. If you're planning on collecting continuing education units for this podcast episode, you can purchase them at www.cbiconsultants.com. You'll also need to know the three secret words. The first secret word is masking. Yeah, and, and, and interesting, uh, when you start talking about sort of the, that fellows do it too, mm-hmm. uh, there's one fellow in particular that I had worked with a, a couple of years back, um, and uh, he masks, but it was actually ingrained in, in by his, his parents. Right. To mask, and they basically said, you know, you know, Bob, and I'm using a pseudonym, mm-hmm. you know, Bob, don't, don't rock and hand flap in front of people, or you will be bullied and and made fun yeah. of, and you won't be cool. Yeah. And it was almost kind of a, a, a sort of a, a punishment paradigm that was kind of put into place, or negative reinforcement, I guess. And so, you know, I, I, I worked with him for years, and and I never, I, I caught, you know, little sorts of indicators that he was autistic, but all, uh, you know, a lot of the stuff he was just, you, you know, he came out as kind of a regular guy. And then it was one day that I went to pick him up at his house to, to go out and do something. I heard a sound in the backyard mm-hmm. and it was a, it was a vocalization, right? Sort of a, an ooey kind of sound yeah. um, that he was making a kind of a guttural sound that he was making. And I was like, what's that? Um, and kind of, kind of tiptoed around and, and he was uh, jumping on a trampoline in his backyard and uh, and making these sounds and kind of hand flapping and doing all this stuff that I had never seen him do before. Right. And he had basically been taught by his his caregiver, you do that stuff at home when no one's yeah. looking. And so he would mask all day and then come home, and, you know, and, and not melt down, but he would just come home and engage in all of the, the stereotypy, which I don't know that I even like that term. It sort of makes it sound like it's a bad thing right away when you call it that. Yeah. But, but it, yeah, it's been yeah. building up all day because he hasn't been able to engage. And then, yeah. And and I don't think that your, your Bob friend, <laughs> I don't <laughs> think that's uncommon. I think that's quite common yeah. for many, many autistic people, unfortunately. Yeah. 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 Wild, wild. So maybe to start to kind of bring it to uh, some of the work you're doing. Mm-hmm. Awesome. This is, this, this is what really kind of stood out for me. Um, you know, I like to interview folks that I that are here just doing things I just I haven't seen before. Um, and I've definitely seen folks doing social groups, and you mentioned yeah. that before that you've done some. And I know, uh, you know, there's um, particularly in the States, uh, Ashley Rose there does uh, with Mission Cognition. Um, she's been doing some really kind of cool kind of just general social groups and virtual stuff. Yeah. And she actually started a podcast of her own to kind of share that stuff. But what we haven't seen much of anything is um, girls-only groups. We'll see lots of boys' groups. Or we'll see mixed groups, girls and boys kind of kind of together. So maybe a couple questions. Um, 
why just girls groups um, and why not, you know, multi, you know, boys and girls groups sort of number one. And, and two, kind of how do you, you, which is kind of, that's kind of maybe the part two of the, of the next question, which is how did you start kind of doing these? Like, how did you get into doing girls groups? Well, I think I'll be answering your questions at the same time. <laughs> like, okay. So um, when I started my private practice and I was still running, a, I still had a group going on and it was a mix of boys and girls. Um, and they were probably about between like around nine or 10 years old. And that's when I started to see a difference in behavior. And I felt Mm. that I was spending more of my focus and energy in the group on the boys because their behaviors were bigger and louder, more overt. Mm. Uh, And the girls, you know, weren't necessarily getting the same level of my attention And they were coming with different questions and different attitudes, frankly. The boys that were coming were a bit more uh, neutral (laughs) about being there, whereas the girls were really excited to be there. They wanted to be Mm. there. They wanted to feel inclusive and connect with the other girls. So, uh, yeah, I actually had to do a little bit of research here, Ben, to see what date this was. So in 2017, I just happened to have a few girls uh, that were of similar age and um, cognitive and communication levels. So we formed our own group. And so we started yeah. a girls group. And I was at that time advertising and letting other clinicians know and trying to reach out. I think part of the challenge, though, is that, again, um, I mean, even though it was just a short time ago, there just weren't as many girls around that were being diagnosed. So that was the other challenge, you know, there's, Mm. it's much easier to form a group with boys or boys and girls, because when you're putting together a social group, you're trying to find the right mix of kids, Mm. right? So that they're all there have similar skill base and are are able to connect maybe of similar ages and similar, uh, similar interests if possible. And so there just isn't as big of a pool of neurodiverse girls to come together. So, um, yeah, so we continued our group. And then just, uh, I guess, last year, well, in 2019, I had two groups running and was just about to start a younger, a third group of younger girls when COVID hit. Uh, And as you mentioned, you know, Mission Cognition, I turned to them to figure out what I was going to (laughs) do virtually and uh, through their support and education was able to start up a bunch of virtual groups. And that, again, has been able to, you know, I've got girls zooming in from all over the province from smaller communities that just don't, again, there's just not that pool of girls right <laughs> to come yeah. together and to connect with uh even in group this week one of the girls said yeah i know a lot of other people with autism but they're all boys <laughs> <laughs> so and that was in her small community and so yeah so i think that you know as as hard as it has with covid and as hard as it has been going virtually it's really made me um recognize the need and and has, yeah, it's, I've just been able to offer so many more groups because of it. I really like what you said kind of at the beginning when you're starting to 
starting to sort of match folks and you're looking for folks either similar age, cognitive level, mm-hmm. uh, communicative level, maybe even interests, um, um, and really, really try to kind of find that that right mix. And I think that's a that's a really important piece that I think is left out. I think we often and 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 what those girls said right there, that girl said to you right there, you know, about sort of, you know, they're all boys. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, and 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 we I think we often group folks together solely based on diagnosis. Well, you all have autism, you're all autistic. So Yeah. We should just put you all together and, and, and do an intervention. I know that place that you and I kind of first started at was um it was mayhem. Yeah. Um yeah. because it because basically what the model was was to bring in not only random people with autism from different parts of the province of different genders and different levels and different functioning. Mm-hmm. But they were also all on the severe level of problems. And so, you know, most of them probably didn't have, a lot of them didn't have communicative skills or any of those sorts of things. And so then we try to put together, you know, activities and outings and all these sorts of things. And quite often they'd fail um, because, you know, people just, they just triggered each other over and over and over again. And so I think, I think this, this is a key piece. So you probably, so I'm, I'm guessing you don't just sort of, you don't just take anybody. No, no. So I, um, I have a fairly thorough intake process and I would say that this, um, I have learned over the years of running social mm. groups. So I always, uh, first connect with the parents to hear what their goals are for their, like why they want their, their girl to participate, you know, what their Mm. goals are. To be honest, Ben, most often it's, I want her to have friends. I want her to be, to connect with other girls and to feel accepted. That seems to be the main theme and goal of a lot of the parents that I talk to or caregivers Mm -hmm. that I speak to. Mm-hmm. Then um, it used to be an in-person assessment, but now because of COVID, it's it's down to a Zoom, <laughs> a Zoom session uh, where we connect. I connect with the girl, and you know we have a, a brief discussion and interaction. And the other piece is is that I, the girls that participate want to be there. If they're not intrinsically motivated to be a part of the group, then they shouldn't be there. That why. Right. So, so I think that's the other key piece, because if you have someone in the group that doesn't want to be there, it really throws off the whole (laughs) dynamic. So, yeah. And then I run my groups on the semester system. So usually it's around eight to 12 weeks. Uh, If it's a group where I'm a little unsure, then I might suggest to parents, like, let's run it on a, maybe a month basis and see how it goes. Mm. And if those, uh, if the group participants aren't clicking, then it's, it's nice because I now have the ability to make some alterations and, Mm. and switch things up. Uh, Yeah. So it's been really nice. Definitely. I mean, we're coming up to almost a year Mm -hmm. uh, and it's given me more insight in, in following these groups because when I was in person, we'd meet every two weeks for a couple of hours, just based on the activities that we did. But from doing the online, we're um, meeting on a weekly basis for one hour. And one of the biggest, one thing that brought insight to me, this just doing this COVID on virtual online piece was that it takes about four weeks for us to get into a groove. 
And for mm. the girls to actually get to the point where they feel comfortable with each other and connect. And, you know, even um, this past week for two of my groups, because I never mention um, di- diagnoses, right. but in both groups, it was interesting. Um, a participant, one participant said, you know, I, I have autism. Does anyone mm. else? <laughs> Right on. And and the conversations, I just let the conversations flow and they yeah. they they all disclosed their diagnoses and were able to relate to each other. But they had all been together, you know, for four to five weeks straight and had formed a connection. Right. And so it's sort of once we have that connection that then we can build more skills and more trust and the masking is, you know, lessened. Sure. Um, interestingly enough, that was one of the conversations they also talked about was was oh. their masking. Yeah, it was it was quite interesting to just be a fly on the wall and listen to their conversation. I mean, I wasn't they they knew I was there sure. present, but they openly talked about that. It was quite. I was really proud. So of was them. was were they, were they all completely shocked that they all had autism? No, being because that, I, being that this is an autistic girls group. I mean, <laughs> well, I call it a group for neurodiversity. Right, so right. I, um, so they all know that, you know, they, there's, um, whether girls participate because of anxiety or ADHD or, um, or autism, right. They don't know mm. specifically. And, um, because I don't specifically announce or say mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> they're, they're seeking that clarification themselves. That's awesome. I love how they just kind of made that connection. That's a much better way to do it for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It was uh, really so cool. cool. And interesting, just uh, hearing you kind of interchange a lot of terms there. So mm-hmm. I've heard you say the girls say, you know, I have autism. Does anyone else? Mm-hmm. I'm neurodiverse. Are you? Uh, I'm autistic. Are you? Do you find lately I've been trying to, uh, you know, uh, learn more from autistic folk, but um, there are at least in sort of the social media kind of circles, and that's real all I'm exposed to. I, I live in a super rural part of the world. and. And so I'm not really exposed to um, a lot of um, autistic folk on a, on a regular basis. Um, and certainly when I was, you know, these labels weren't really talked about as much. And in fact, the term autistic was kind of taboo. Yeah. Um, it was always a person with sort of language, uh, people with language. These are what the employers taught you to say and so on and so forth. Uh, and neurodiversity, that's a really new term, I think, at least uh, in, in sort of mainstream now. But the message I was getting sort of from the social media kind of side of things was that, you know, we prefer autistic and I would say most of us prefer autistic. Do you see that or do you see the variety there? With social media, uh, I, I think like you, they prefer, you know, folks are saying they prefer autistic, but I also see many because I follow more um, women. Mm. Uh, on the spectrum and I find a lot of the folks that I'm following are saying ask the individual I think that the girls that I work with are still young I haven't asked them my groups directly what their preference are they certainly referred to themselves as having having autism but that also could be because of the language that's been modeled for them course yeah and and they're still growing and developing their you know thoughts and opinions and and recognizing what uh being autistic you know means for them yeah. so 
Yeah. So I guess my, for me, it's ask the person <laughs> if yeah, possible. Uh, I totally agree. Yeah. I mean, I think that makes sense. I mean, everyone's got a preference for different things and, yeah. and, 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 and you kind of got to go that direction, but it's just interesting to know that, and it can depend on age. It can depend on, on sort of a lot, a lot of those pieces kind of two mm -hmm. really opposite directions. I kind of want to go with questions here. So I'm just trying to decide which one, um, maybe I'll come back to the second part. I wanted to talk about the skills and whatnot. I mean, you, you say the most of the parents' goals is that, you know, I, I want I want my daughter to have friends. Mm -hmm. I want my kid, kid to have friends. And I think that's a common thing, you know, across boys and girls. You know, that's in the end, that's that's the primary goal. I want, you know, either some level of independence, but more so, you know, a circle of support, a circle of friends. That's not that simple. Um, you know, I'm, mm -hmm. okay. Okay, they're in a group. We'll now be friends. Yeah. Um, no, that's not uh, how friendship works. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, uh, how do you how do you get there? How do you how do you get autistic kids to develop friendships? The second secret word is social. Yeah, that's a really good question. And it, so I think that, again, it's it's really going to depend on the individual. I've talked to some families and I, I, I can't quote, I don't remember the article because I'm not very good yeah. at names, but I might have sent it to you, where it really talked about companionship versus friendship. Yes. And so, yeah, so for some children who may struggle more with the conversation piece or the social emotional piece. You know, it, it might be a, a good area to focus is just is finding, you know, what your girl is interested in and then finding an activity with other peers. So she has a companion, you know, she's part of the group and that might be enough for her <laughs> versus girls who are seeking more of the friendship level, the right, the the more intimate connection. Mm. Mm -hmm. Then it's helping to support how do you evolve those friendships. And I've had lots of um, caregivers say, yeah, my girl's great at making friends. It's hard to keep them. And so the one piece about, you know, attending a group on a week, once a week <laughs> or even going to school with the same people every day, friendships evolve outside of those sort of structured activities. So whether it's through texting, whether it's through phone calls or hanging out, so it's helping your daughter really develop those those skills of, you know, because many have said like out of out of sight, out of mind. Mm -hmm, right. Mm -hmm. So, hey, it's your friend's birthday coming up. Let's send her a text. Let's give her a phone mm -hmm. call. Um, mm -hmm. You really connected with this person. Let's Let's set up, a, a, you know, a part, well, I guess now because of COVID, let's hang out and go for a walk, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. So that they're still connecting, but outside of that structured piece and, and allowing the friendship to grow and evolve. And is that something you're doing in your groups? Are you sort of facilitating that sort of in between weeks? Yeah. So for my groups, I, um, we form a, like a group chat. So that's to try and encourage some texting 
in between, mm. I will, you know, I do weekly homework, <laughs> which is, you know, it's fun stuff. Like make it, yeah. make a yummy dessert and send me a picture or nice. watch a movie and tell me what you watched. So I'll mm-hmm. send the homework reminders through text. Some it's interesting to see like some girls are more participatory in the text messaging where they'll send, Hey, look at, look at what I made on the weekend. And then some mm-hmm. will respond. And then others, um, I think part of, you know, those executive function <laughs> challenges of sitting down, looking at your phone, thinking of a response and being on top of those pieces, they may need more parental support. Mm-hmm. In, in following through with that piece. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Are you finding, so you do like a group for eight to 12 weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, what happens after that? Um, so yeah, so each semester, so I'll run groups that go from like September till Christmas and then January yeah. to spring break and then spring until the end of school. And then I'll look to do something in the summer. So there's usually just like one or two week break between each group. And that's really when I'll find out who wants to return. And if that group was working, I try to keep them the same. Mm. Um, maybe there might be like one new participant. Yep. yep. And I try to form the group so that, and I only have one or two new people per group. Uh, groups, again, are formed. I form them, especially with online platform. I keep them small. That was, you know, right at COVID, I had combined and I think we had like six to eight participants. And mm. you know, one of the girls said, yeah, it's, I don't get to talk enough. Mm. <laughs> it's too big. So, yeah. so now a maximum of four. And, um, and some of my groups, I just have two participants because of the, uh, of the particular goals that they're working on and because of their own social anxiety. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's really cool that they're, they're, you know, they're individualized and customized that way. I think that's awesome. So what, what, what other kinds of areas do you guys focus on in the groups or girls focus on in the groups? Um, well, so research has suggested that the areas to focus on specifically for girls are uh, puberty and hygiene mm-hmm. related issues, including sexual health. Okay. Yeah. Uh, relationships, so understanding female friendships, and also eventually, again, this goes with the sexual health, understanding romantic and sexual relationships. Mm -hmm. Uh, A lot of research has supported that many autistic women, um, and probably autistic men too, have been, you know, taken advantage of or have gotten themselves Mm -hmm. into situations Mm -hmm. that they didn't know how to get themselves out of. Yeah. And then the other piece is really the social emotional learning. So within my groups, we, we focus a lot on that um, social emotional piece, you know, identifying, Hey, I was feeling crummy today. This is why, you know, learning to share, identify your emotions and sharing. A lot of the uh, girls that I work with want to focus more on the positives. (laughs) Oh no, Mm -hmm. I was fine. Today was good. Yep. No problems. So really, um, one, helping them be a bit more open to identifying those negative feelings and being open to talking about it. And I find Mm. that um, by having those peer models, you know, other girls in the group saying that they had worries and that they were feeling a bit Mm -hmm. anxious has really sort of allowed uh, permission for other girls to slowly start to recognize and share those those emotions as well. 
Yeah. So we work on that. Um, we work on problem solving. I often sort of present a hypothetical question to the group and we, you know, with saying like, there's not one solution. How can we come mm -hmm. up with multiple? And that really does lead into the perspective taking piece because often the girls have, have different ways that they would maybe broach the problem and, and their mm. thoughts of how one solution might have different social consequences than the other. Uh, we work on just, you know, going with the flow. <laughs> I work on that myself because often I come in with my planned events and things will definitely go sideways. I, uh, I like to follow their leads. So if they come to the group with a topic of interest or something that they want to address, then we go there. We talk mm -hmm. about it. When we were in person, I guess that was over a year ago. <laughs> That one girl was talking about going to a school dance mm. and and saying, you know, like, why do all the boys stand on one side of the room and the girls stand on the other? And and she sort of had the impression that she couldn't dance unless a boy asked her or unless mm. she, right? And so then we talked about, you know, how you dance in a group yep. with with more than with both boys and girls. And then what is that group? dancing look like and how do you join that group because she sort of stepped up and went right in the middle of the group and I'm like oh yeah no you can't do that mm -hmm, <laughs> first mm -hmm. you go on the so those really subtle social nuances right so being able to um, practice that in the moment and um, so yeah so as I say going with the flow <laughs> yeah have you so have you where this question have you had folks in your group you know that maybe identify differently from from sort of a gender diversity kind of perspective um i've talked to some group some girls who have considered joining my group and recognizing that i mean certainly we would welcome the group would welcome that mm -hmm. we've had some girls who who might but it wasn't talked about um if it came up in conversation certainly and if I had enough participants, I mean, I, I think too, I would need to educate myself more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I think there, I mean, I would say like there's certainly my groups consist of like one, you know, I have a participant who has a boyfriend and another participant who's like completely not interested in anything romantic. Yeah. Uh, so, but we're able to talk about that. Uh, there's another girl who's shared, like, she thinks she's gay, but she's not sure. Mm. So certainly that has come up, but more, it hasn't been like the whole focus of a, of a intense conversation, if you will. Right. No, no. And I just, I just, it just, uh, I mean, this is definitely another area that's, you know, for great reasons, getting a lot more, it's important to sort of just, you know, educate folks on that stuff, you know, and especially when they're younger. And I often see how do how do we teach girls and boys about pronouns and different things like that, mm -hmm. you know, sort of those, those sorts of things. So I had just sort of kind of wondered, you know, had, had that kind of come up at all? Um, yeah, it it has, but it's in a very accepting manner, not in a right. I, I think, to be honest, probably the girls in my group are more advanced than I am, <laughs> and I. Yeah learn from them <laughs> no doubt yeah but yeah. yeah i do acknowledge that i i definitely need to do more education on my part yeah yeah kind of going back to puberty i think we mm -hmm. kind of just kind of glossed over that we got to teach puberty and hygiene well th these are areas that i think uh can be 
super problematic for yes. know, for families and and teachers and whatnot um, and uh, uh, and hygiene and you know there's a lot a lot of skills there. I mean you know I think you know many, many kids uh, autistic or not you know don't realize regular bathing is important and yeah. and uh, you know other 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 sorts of things. Um, you know, you can smell bad and what that can mean. And yeah. um, so uh, how do you approach that? Um, yeah, so that is definitely the, I don't like showers. I don't want to shower. Mm. <laughs> I don't want to wear deodorant. Bras are uncomfortable. Yeah. I mean, really in a group setting, there's only so much that I can do. Yeah. So really, I just, I, I facilitate a conversation. And I provide the perspective taking of, cause I'm not in the, I'm not in the position to say you have to like this, is, right. right? Like that's, that's up to the caregivers and the parents, <laughs> but I, I take more of the angle of like, well, let's think about it. Like how, let's say you're sitting in class and the boy or the boy or the person next to you smells, you know, what are your thoughts? What are your mm. feelings? What can you do? Um, now what if somebody has that impression about you, what, you know, so really helping them understand, like, if, if you choose to do this, that's fine, but here's the social ramifications mm. here, are the, here might be the thoughts and perspectives of your peers. And it's come to a point where, yeah, where they, the girls are like, yeah, I, I don't like it either, you know, like providing the platform for them to talk about. And the reasons why I'll say, well, okay, why, <laughs> why don't you like going in the shower? What's the mm -hmm. challenge with that? What, what are some alternatives? So, because I think that having that information coming from peers mm -hmm. is going to be, and research has shown is going to be more impactful than coming from nagging parents. Unfortunately. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So we, yeah. So, so we've talked about, um, I mean, particularly right now, it's it's sort of all we can do is talk, right? Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. Back when we were in person, uh, we we did practice like putting pads on <laughs> by just having giant underwear that we'd put over our pants and practice, you know, putting pads on, taking pads off. Mm -hmm. um, you know, what do you do when your pad is dirty and maybe you can't? you know, problem solving, like, let's think yep. about this. What if there's no garbage in the bathroom? What are you going to do? <laughs> yep. Um, so we, yeah. So we talked about that and role played that. And again, I take the angle more of not me telling them, but helping them sort of come up with some solutions on their own. Totally. Totally. Like, I wonder about kind of the, you know, the sensory yeah. kind of piece there and 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 um you know i heard you mention things like i don't like wearing a bra well i mean and i know uh, women in general have often <laughs> said that bras aren't the most comfortable thing to wear yeah. um depending on you know the, the material and whatnot uh, are, are there sort of clear kind of sensory things going on for folks with uh, you know a lot of this stuff and 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 have folks come up with their own you know, kind of strategies to kind of mitigate that or, or, uh, you know, materials or. Yeah, I think um, it hasn't necessarily come up in my groups. Um, certainly I've talked more with parents individually. I do follow a Facebook group that's, um, that's women, autistic women and caregivers of mm. autistic girls. And I find that face group, Facebook group very insightful and helpful. 
yeah, I mean, I think now, you know, there's, there's a lot more options. <laughs> there's not just yeah, the yeah. underwire bra anymore. So there's a lot of other options to help to maybe, um, slowly sort of move in that way. And honestly, in following the group, I remember one woman's like, well, why does she need to wear a bra? <laughs> like, mm. And I sort of had that aha moment. I'm like, yeah, Fair yeah. point. Why? <laughs> so, so, um, so I think that it's again, it's 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 the individual and the values of the family, and and helping to figure that piece out. Yeah, I think some of the other challenges that come up just in regards to the the hygiene and the puberty piece is the executive functioning piece. Mm. Um, you know, knowing when to go and change your pad. Right. Right. Um, under like catchy, like knowing when, when to expect your period to start. Yeah. So there's, there's some of those other sort of challenges that sometimes aren't always considered. Yeah, absolutely. Along with the sensory pieces. You've, uh, you talked a lot about, um, you know, the different autistic women that you follow, like, um, I guess you mean on social media? Yeah, YouTube and Facebook and Instagram. And so, and so, and so, who who do you recommend? Um, oh, you're gonna ask me for names now. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> That's I'm okay. I might have to. No, no. Um, there's a a woman named I think she goes by Yosemite Sam. Oh, okay. I really like her. Neurodivergent Rebel. Mm, okay. Uh, who else is there? That I mentioned the Facebook group. Yeah. Um. There's a there's a woman on TikTok, Paige Lale. Mm. Have you? I don't know if you've seen her, but she's been oh, she's been quite pronounced in social media recently. Okay. Um, yep. Sort of saying, you know, this is what autism can look like. Yeah. There's oh, who else is there? There's um, I think her name's Princess Aspian. Mm. Yeah, I'm finding there's more and more autistic women that are that are definitely sharing their stories and yeah which i find really helpful and um absolutely and even it was interesting because even in group this past week a lot of girls my participants said can i share a book (laughs) it's written by an autistic girl and then they all said oh i want to go get my book and they all shared different books that they had found useful. So that was really great. Oh, really yeah, cool. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. One that I, I like, um, that was written by an autistic girl named Sienna Cast- Castellon. I don't know if I butchered her last okay. name. Yeah. Anyways, it's called the Spectrum Girls Survival Guide. And so that one's been a really good one. Been a lot of the girls in my groups have enjoyed it. And, and nice. even for some of my one-to-ones, we use it as a platform of discussion. And for younger girls, there's a great, book called I am an Aspie girl Mm. by uh, again I'm going to butcher it Danuta Bullcock Patterson and it's a picture book and it um, it really outlines some you know key pieces of autism Uh, again I use that with some of my younger girls to help them understand their diagnosis that's awesome yeah you you just mentioned one-to-one there so I guess your job isn't just doing girls groups all the time no, I, uh, I still do the things? early intervention or the home okay. programming for, some yeah. for the babies. But I also do provide one-on-one uh, consult services with um, with clients themselves and with the families. 
And is that generally girls? Uh, no, I do work with some boys as well. I, hmm. Yeah. But you do get to work on some of these things with one to one with girls. Yeah. 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 And um, so that, you know, it could be because there's some things that just can't be addressed in the group and yeah, do yeah. require more in a one to one situation, but then allowing um, opportunities to then generalize skills or practice skills in the groups. So there's a bit of that crossover. It's cool. Have, have you seen any evidence of, of these girls? continuing to connect with each other outside of the groups beyond like the texting between the weeks. So like once the 12 weeks are over, do you? Uh, yeah, def- there are, it really depends on the personality and the age. The third secret word is girls. Mm-hmm. So uh, actually just recently, especially now with more of the online gaming platforms where they, you can like mm. friend request. Mm. that seems to happen more in like the particularly this year just because i think everybody's <laughs> gaming a bit more <laughs> um so that has happened i i know a couple of my participants have connected outside of groups and have made that effort to connect i in the past when we were able to still kind of meet up in person we'd do some monthly sort of park meetups <laughs> when we could and I think that helped not just because the other pieces is with this online platform, the parents don't get to connect, right? Mm. Whereas when they were in person and parents were doing drop-offs and pickup, then they themselves could connect. Could do some interaction. Right. Yeah. To help mm. support their do- their their girls and in, in connecting outside of group. Uh, so that I think helped a little bit when we could have those monthly meetups. Uh, but again, some you know, it, it, it really, it really depends on the, on each individual girl. It, and it does follow that sort of out of sight, out of mind for some of them. Well, and then there's that other piece, which you touched on during COVID, you've been, since you've been doing the virtual groups, you've got folks now from all over the province. Yes. Kind of connecting. And so that's different. I mean, I'm obviously awesome for, you know, someone in, you know, in, 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 in Williams Lake or something that, you know, not only doesn't have anyone else with autism to hang out with, but just doesn't have anyone, period. Yeah. Yeah. We, I mean, we have recently, I've um, facilitated sort of some Friday evening Zoom events <laughs> to try and continue and, and also to have a little bit of like crossover between groups. So we recently played Among Us. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. I know that game. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I'm still horrible at it, but yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so we've, we've done some of that. And, uh, some of the girls have actually asked like after the group that they don't want to leave. Yeah. And so I'll just turn my camera and my microphone off so that they can continue ah, right on. to interact. Cool. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. But I do, again, I find that it it's after they've established probably the five week mark. Yeah. You had talked about uh, another goal of yours was to, work on self-advocacy with these folks what, what's what's that look like yeah so i think for um i think for part of the challenge you know i i help them the girl how, how should i put this so part of when we're doing that problem solving piece mm. i do f- encourage the girls to to help recognize you know what's hard and challenging for them 
or even when we're mm. working on conversations, you know, I, I just put it out there and I said, you know, for some of you, like who finds it hard to ask questions? Mm. And I might have a couple put their hand up and I said, okay. And who has a hard time sharing information about themselves? Mm. And they, and you know, the rest of the group puts their hand up. So uh, providing opportunities to, to recognize in themselves what can be difficult and then, okay, so how could you, you know, help people understand that when you're in a situation? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I have one person who, who has some anxiety. And so she, she always says like, can I just watch first to see how this activity is played and then I can participate? And I'm like, yeah, sure. That's totally fine. Mm-hmm thank you for asking, <laughs> you know, right, and, that's awesome. yeah. And so providing opportunities for them to, to practice that skill and to self-advocate. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, and then supporting each other of, you know, we were talking about uh, partners, like finding a partner at school or a group to work with and all of them just hate that. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah right. Yeah. What if I go up and, and people say, no, what do I do? Or, you know, nobody ever wants to be partners with me. I'm the last person to be picked. And so we had that conversation of like, can you go up to your teachers and talk to your teachers about how that's hard for you? And what could your teachers do to help support you in that situation? Totally. I mean, I think, I think the key piece here that you've, you've just done so well of, of, of making it happen is, is, the, is that you've created such a safe, safe place for, for these girls to kind of open up and like I said, drop the mask and just have like, it's, it's gotta be so amazing for, for a girl to be able to say, you know, I, I, I don't feel comfortable playing this game or I, I, I don't like going up to people and have three other girls say the same thing. Like, like what a power that has that you just, you can't replicate in kind of any other setting. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're right. And I, and it's, it's nice because, um, you know how on the zoom calls, like you can see when people join before you've started the meeting. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I often see the girls joining <laughs> and I'm like, Oh, okay. 15 more minutes. And then group starts. Oh, right. Awesome. So that's it's awesome. really nice to see the eagerness there or even the text messages yeah. of like, see you guys at group this afternoon. <laughs> totally. So that, um, I think that speaks volumes just in, it makes me recognize that I'm, I'm doing something right. <laughs> yeah. So. You, you almost got to do what you do at the end of the groups at the beginning and sort of a 10 minutes of, of, of no gab pre-social or something. Yeah. Like yeah. I, it's interesting because I have, I have done that, but I think part of the challenge for some of them is they is not knowing how to start the conversation. So I think yeah, for sure. I think because I provide a little bit of structure and that facilitation helps and then I can fade myself back. But um I think one of the biggest pieces that I've learned over the years is is being flexible and so you know if they start a conversation and it's going off about maybe not a topic I intended, I really try to sit back and let them lead it and then jump in when there's like that lull or it's maybe becoming inappropriate. (laughs) (laughs) So your, 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 uh, your groups are obviously always full. I mean, I know sometimes you only have two people in them. Um, and so I imagine there's folks out there that are, you know, wanting to put their 
their girls in a group and mm-hmm. well, you aren't available. Are there any, is there anyone else doing anything like this at all? Even like in, in Canada and BC, I mean, that's available. I mean, I don't want the same thing, but is there anything else out there? Um, I know there's, I know there's a couple of clinicians and local clinics that have created maybe like a one-off group. Right. And I mean, there's certainly, I've noticed more over the past years, community centers offering girls groups, not for specifically for neurodiverse girls, but really focusing on, um, I think the YMCA puts one on like really Mm. developing self-confidence and there's definitely like some, some sexual health and Mm. uh, groups that have been formed. And of course there's always, you know, girl guides and brownies and, and those pieces, those, you know, groups that are out there. So I think there's more and more just in general, but as far as uh, I think there, there are more girls groups, that are specifically being formed by like BCBAs and SLPs. I, th- I think we will see more of them in the coming years. Good, good, good. Well, yeah. hopefully some will listen to this and start some, some themselves as well. That'd be awesome. Yeah. Actually, I was talking to a woman in Scotland because she was forming a girls group. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. So we were connecting over Zoom and chatting about it. Oh, that's so great. And I, uh, for folks that are listening right now, you might start to hear some sounds in the background. And so I think it's a good sign that uh, maybe we'll we'll start to wrap it up here because I, I feel like the room I'm in is going to get really loud soon. Yeah, I think my family's <laughs> going to be home soon. So. <laughs> no, that's right. That's right. You're saying that too. Yeah. Yeah. For those that are listening, I'm, I'm currently sitting in a, in a fire department. And so um, that's a whole other story for another day. But uh, I think some members are now out of the trucks. So. I seem to was able to avoid them all morning until now. Just kind of before we kind of end this here, I'm just curious about sort of um, uh, a couple of things. I, we've definitely shared a lot of resources, but are there any things you, you might want to just um, kind of let folks know about, you know, working with girls with autism or any resources out there or any sort of just, you know, tips that would make folks think a little more? Um, I think definitely follow um, other autistic women through social mm. media. I think that, that has provided me a lot of insight. There's a great book called Queen Bees and the Wannabes or Queen Bee. Mm. And um, it's actually the movie Mean Girls was based off of it. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, it's by Rosalind Wiseman. And she really outlines just the female friendship dynamic. Mm. I think that it's it's important to understand what that looks like in order to support the autistic girl in navigating that social piece. Uh, there's a lot more books out there I find of like novels and girls' experiences, which I the girls in my groups have recommended and they've enjoyed. And so I just read as many books as I can. <laughs> and and yeah, and research what I can. So yeah. I, and I know, and I, and I don't want to put you on the spot because mm-hmm. I know you, but I'm going to, but, okay. <laughs> but, but because I know you struggle with the research. I'm not looking for you to name an article for me or anything. I mean, that, that'd be mean, but yeah. a lot of the research you sent me was, you know, somewhat outside of the kind of the ABA realm. Yeah. It was, you know, more kind of autism journals, molecular autism, um, some author, amazing articles. And then and some of them actually do speak to um, considerations for behavioral treatment and that sort of thing. Uh, are you aware of anybody that's doing kind of research with girls and ABA at all or women or in, in general? Or? There's a couple of women down in Kansas who are running a um, research supported group 
Girls Night Out. Oh, uh, yes. Renee Jameson and I forget her colleague's name. Uh, they came and spoke actually on um, the uh, on Autism Community Training website. Yep. There's a slew of videos from presenters that came in 2018, including yep. Dr. William Mandy from the UK. He's done a lot of work on camouflaging. Oh, good, good. And then um, a psychologist who came out from out east named Dory Zenner. Um, she's worked with neurodiverse individuals through one-on-one and family. Oh, awesome. Yeah, so she has a lot of information. What else? Yeah, I... No, that's okay. good. That's, that's a good start. <laughs> Thank you. That's that. That's all I need, and I'll, I'll go look up the girls I know and find out the other names and stuff. Yeah. No, just because I think um, we need we need more research. Um, and that's what it comes down to, Ben, is that there needs to be more research. And I, I mean, there's the peers program has been run with both girls and boys, but I don't think there's ever, there's any research that supports an all girl group doing the peers mm. program. No, that'd be interesting to see. Just to yeah, have someone just try doing that. Uh, peers is a whole different game. I mean, than what you're doing. I yeah. Mean, I, I I mean I I from what I understand. I mean, we'll go deep in this, but from what I understand about peers is, yeah, I don't know if it's changed, but when the agency that I used to work at was doing it, peers was about not about the girls or the 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 kids in the group making friends with each other. It was about teaching them to go out and make friends in their in their communities. Right. And it was a, a lot less about connecting those particular folks together. Yep. Um, you know, I think some of that connection happens. But yours, you know, yours really focuses on, you know, that relationship between the girls as sort of the central piece that allows you to kind of do all these really cool things, which I think is just awesome. Thanks, Ben. Uh, are, 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 are you th- are you thinking PhD one day? Oh, <laughs> no pressure, no I, pressure. I, I just... Yeah, I think right now I'm just trying to keep up with the demand and Absolutely, and seeing yeah. how I can offer more more groups to meet the needs because I think there's um, definitely more and more girls that are being recognized and more and more yeah. families that are reaching out. So yeah. I, def- I just definitely think this girls group has the potential to be something, you know, really uh, replicable um, and replicatable. Is that the word, maybe? Sounds um, right. <laughs> um, um, and uh, tomato, tomato. Uh, but, you know, again, you don't need to publish something to make something, re- uh, to be able to replicate something. So hopefully, listen to this, folks will reach out. Uh, I guess that'd be the last question. If folks wanted to kind of connect with you and, um, you know, learn a little bit more about what you're doing, what's the best way to kind of reach you? Um, yeah, I, I am on Facebook and Instagram with my, um, with Gabrielle Stigant yep. or email. Can I give that one? Up? Okay. Yep. <laughs> Gabrielle Stigant at shot.ca. <laughs> so yes, I'm happy to share information and, awesome. and talk. I mean, this is, yeah, this is what my, my passion project is right That's now. So, so awesome. yes. So awesome. Well, Gab, thanks so much for coming on. It's been super awesome. I know I've learned a ton, not only from all the great readings you gave me, but from this discussion. And, um, you know, I, I, I look forward to, you know, other folks getting stuff out of this. It's been super cool. Well, thanks so much, Ben. I appreciate being yeah. on the podcast and, and having the opportunity to talk about my girls' groups. <laughs>